0: Are you or aren't you? One of the scariest places in the Bible to me is in Matthew 25. And it talks about this moment where there's a seat. And it reminds me of a concentration camp. Have you guys ever read some of the stories of why people went to one side or the other? There was a guy standing there and he was a mid-level lieutenant. He wasn't necessarily the... The, the big cheese, but he was standing in there, and one side he's saying goats, and one side sheeps. Matthew 25, 31 talks about that. Now, the question would be, as we talked about last week, Pontius Pilate came before Jesus and says, are you or aren't you? And here's a morbid question for you to kind of get us churned up, to get that pit moving out of my stomach and into your stomach, Hopefully. If there was someone here judging you, are you or aren't you a Christian? And the truth is when you made that choice and you said that word I am or you choose to think that you are, you go to the side that they're killing you. But your people and your family and your friends are around you and they're saying, "Is this man a Christian?" and the community responds, "Well, he's got a bumper sticker." But you should have seen what he did last night. Or you should have seen what happened on Friday. The question would be, who would, where would you go? If the choice was, I'm a follower, but I'm going to die. And would the community around you say that, say that same thing as we look at that mercy seat? Last week, Jesus had that opportunity to say, I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I am the... I, I am... And I could bring down the armies of heaven and destroy everything that Pilate was, but he chose death for you and me. He chose the crucifixion. And my challenge is to you: Are you? Would your community? Would your neighborhood? Would your neighbors come up and say they're Christians? I know it. Even if it meant that they were going to come in and take you, like the army of, of uh, in it, uh, the Nazi army, and put you to death. Or would they go, well, they say they are, but they sure don't act like it. And I have that experience in my own life. Today, we ask that question. And I want to kind of go for the next two weeks, even though I won't be teaching next week. Jeremy will be. I want to kind of talk about the significance of this. Hopefully, next week, we'll continue on it because that's when the death and, and the cross really comes to life for us. But what is the significance of the cross and why did Jesus accept this? Why did he accept this as his destiny? And really, I want you to know that there's more to it. And tonight, I'm going to pose a few questions to kind of dig into your faith a little bit deeper and ultimately heal some things inside of me and hopefully heal some things inside of you. Tonight, we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus in John chapter 19. We continue in John as we have been for months, maybe even years now, a year or so. But where does the crucifixion really start? Does it start in John chapter 17 or 13? The truth is it starts back in Genesis. It starts back in Genesis 3 when it first talks about Jesus. But really the first symbol that we have in the Bible comes in Genesis 22 in that story of Abraham. Abraham is the father of nations. He is the one that everybody's going to be under, the father of nations, the father of religion or the father of uh, uh, Christianity. It was first Judaism and then it transferred. But in in Genesis 22, here's what Abraham did. He took his son to the land of Moriah, it says. And he took his son and his son's like, Dad, where are we going? And he says, we're going to go up to the hill and we're going to worship God. We're going to offer a sacrifice. And as he had this axe or this knife, and he's pulling it up, and you've got to think about his kid looking at him going, but dad, they don't tell that story, but you've got to think about what it is. And at that last moment before the knife or the axe comes down, that place is called the Lord will provide because the Lord is going to provide a sacrifice. It wasn't Isaac. It was going to be something greater. That greater moment is Jesus at the crucifixion today. So let's stand up. We're going to read a few verses, and we're going to talk about the crucifixion, and really we're going to talk about the cross today, next week, and hopefully you'll come with your Bible, you'll dig in, you'll start taking notes, not because our messages are so deep, but you want that hunger and thirst for more of what God has for you. John chapter 19, we're talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, and here's what it says. So they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the place of Skull in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, one on either side, and when Jesus in between them. And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that reads, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign written was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that many people could read it. The leading priests objected and said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews, he said to, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate replied, no, I have written what I have written. Tonight, before we get started and we, before we pray and you've thought about what kind of Christian you are? What did you do last night? What did you do last week? What did you do uh, uh, last summer? How are you going to live this summer? Really think about what the cross means to you, and hopefully today at the end and next week you'll get two messages that help kind of fill in the idea of the cross and what it means to both to all of us. So Father, we come before you today and as we read John and as we dig into the crucifixion, will you help us give us a better understanding of who you are, Lord, and what the cross is to us and how it changes us and builds us and redeems us and makes us whole in you. How breaking the the body and the blood through communion reminds us and builds us and allows us to forgive and be cleansed so that we can be right with you. Father, I pray whoever's broken like me tonight, will you come and meet them where they're at? Will you teach me and teach us how to cling to the cross so that you will save our lives, save our families, save our marriages and friendships, save our ministries, Lord, and that something amazing will come out of something horrible that does and and will happen in our lives. We pray, for you. we pray to you, Lord, and ask for you to work powerfully in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. So next March, a group of us are going to go to Jerusalem. I've been talking a little bit about this, March 3rd through like the 12th. It's really fun. If you're interested, come and see me. But when you go there, one of the most amazing places you'll go to is this place called the Skull. There's this tomb garden, and right next to this tomb garden, it's literally from the back part of the community center to maybe the parking lot. You take this walk, and it's called Golgotha. Now, I got this original picture, original, not like in Jesus' time, but you can tell that camels are actually in the street, so it means it's a little bit older than normal. Because there's not much camel traffic there today. But if you see this place, this is the place where Jesus was crucified. Can you guys see the skull in it? They, they have it, and it's called the Skull Mountain because there's this face in it. Now, today, when we went there the first time, my, my wife and me were sitting there, and we had this really meek British guy. He was a really educated man, but he was from uh, England, And he was talking very lightly where we could barely hear him because today, if you look at the next picture, right below this mountain where it's touristy, it's uh, right below it is a bus station and it's in uh, Muslim territory and it's got a lot of chaos and confusion. And the first thing my wife said as we walked in there, she goes, can you feel the chaos? And, and you could feel your stomach because this is where Jesus died and he died for the sins of the world. And right below it today is this noisy bus station and it was chaos. You could barely hear the guy. And I thought this place was going to be one of the most spiritual places and it was the most ickiest feeling place I'd ever been. And I get it now. This place is called the Skull. I also want you to think about the crucifixion. I'm just going to kind of talk a little bit around this, the, the text today. But do you guys know that the most, cruci- most of the crucifixions, and I, and I challenge you to look it up on Google, most of the crucifixions were done by rope and not by nails? Like 95%, 99% of them were done by rope. It says, I'm not for sure, so I didn't really put it up there, some of the pictures, but they got pictures of the two people, the criminals on the side of Jesus. They were probably rope-tied. It's a chance, because most crucifixions were done. The, 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 the reason that the nails were done, because it was the most brutal death that someone can die of. The rope was a little bit more humane, digging into the arms and the hands and to the ankles was a lot worse. And you can find on the internet where there's a lot of depictions of this this nail versus the rope and that the, the criminals could have been roped. And it was the worst type of death. Why would it need to be the worst? Because we needed that for your and my sin. It had to be nothing worse. The Roman crucifixion by nail was the worst that you can have in the world. Probably still today. There's not much worse than that can happen to watch that person die. And that's what happened. The next thing I want to talk about is carrying your cross. Jesus said, so they took away Jesus and he had to carry the cross. And I don't know if you guys have ever carried a cross before, but there's a moment where in your life, the cross of Jesus becomes heavy. And we read this verse and we see it in church a lot and it's Matthew 16, 24 to 25 and it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, so he's communicating to a small group like Wednesday night in Journey. He says, if you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross and follow me. If you hang on to your old life, you will lose it but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Now, I don't know about you, but that means my ego, my attitude, my actions, my faults, my failures. What my head and heart says versus what God says is sometimes completely different. And I have to look, to, I have to look into my eyes and look to my Bible and look to my faith in Jesus Christ at certain moments in my life. And I've got to cling to the cross. Look at some pictures from the Passion on how Jesus is depicted holding the cross. This man is holding it, and he's not holding it because it's heavy and it's broken, which it is, but he's holding it so that you and I can have new life. He's putting the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he's carrying it to a point that will change the world forever. And when you do that in your own life, you are trying to change your world forever. There are certain moments in your life where God meets you and you have to give up your, what your mind says and what your ego says and what your heart says. And you've got to pick up your cross and you've got to follow him. And you've got to take whatever lumps happens because on the other side as in Jesus' testimony, you will gain a life, whatever that is. It's happened in my life, but I've continually fallen down like Jesus did, and I continually have to pick up the cross. We're not perfect, but we can get better and do get better through Jesus Christ. If you look at the next picture that I have, uh, Simon of Cyrene is in there. And if you look at it, I just wanted to put this picture up. Do you see the rope handles on the end of it? The rope handles were where they would string them up, right in that area. That's generally how it would be done. I just put that picture so that you could see it. But this is also a picture of what Jesus would do. This is an interesting picture because, truthfully, Jesus is holding up our cross as we pick up our cross. And he's yelling in my heart and head today that I'm with you, Jeff. I'm going to help you. No matter how tough and how heavy the cross is, I'm going to help you. And I'm going to grow you. And it might hurt. And it might take you back. But in the end, you will grow. And you will gain a life. And beyond that, you will show a testimony to the people around you. Your children, your friends, your wife, your neighbors, to people at the church. And that's what they want. Is they want a testimony of picking up your cross. So let's take a few minutes and answer this question at your table. Make sure you're at a table and answer this question. The question is, what does the cross mean to you? What does carrying the cross mean to you? And what, what, what rough things um, that God has you walking through require you to pick up your cross and continue the journey and if you're kind of embarrassed with people at your table you don't have to give specific details just give generality so that people can understand the weight of your cross today and if you get a second before the end of the message pray for the table we won't do it at this time we'll do it at the end for your table but let's just spend some time uh answering this question what does carrying the cross mean to you today go ahead and go All right, let's come back together. And uh, in verse 19, it says, Pilate posted a sign on the, uh, on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And, and most of the things that we see today and most of the crosses, I think even the one that we put on in our drama, it has these letters, I-N-R-I. I don't know if you've ever seen it. This is generally something that would, would uh, be on the cross. Does anybody know how to pronounce that? I'm going to try it for you. So this is... It's Jesus Nazarenes Rex Iode Oram. And if you put it in Google, this guy that says it is pretty crazy. But this... This is what we generally see, but most likely this is not what was on the cross because we see in our text, if we're true Bible readers, it says that it was in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, and I think we have another picture of what that would look like. This is probably what it looked like. It wasn't those symbols, but we've turned it into that because it it, it makes sense, but this is probably what the cross looked like, and it created controversy. Because the Jewish people, it said Jesus was the king of the Jews, and they wanted it to say he said he was the king of the Jews. In the Gospel of John, they refer this to uh, this little plaque as the title of Jesus. If you look in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, it's really the accusation. It was customary during those days of crucifixion to put on top the crime and the name of the person. That's an interesting thing. So they put who you were and what crime you made. The accusation of Jesus had been condemned by uh, who Pilate condemned was claiming to be the king of the Jews. And at one point, Jesus says, it is as you say I am. I am who you say I am. Ironically, the crime that Jesus uh, was crucified for was not a crime at all. It was absolutely a true statement. We know that today, but back then we didn't realize it or they didn't realize it. Not only was Jesus the king of the Jews and the king of the Hebrew, uh, the Latin and the Greek, he is the king of you and I. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We see that in Revelation, but we need to know that deep within our heart that he is the king of all time. It was not his crime that nailed him to the cross, being the king of the Jews. It was the crime of those that claimed Jesus as Lord and Savior. My sin, your sin, what we do and what separates us is what put Jesus on the cross. When we claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior, instantly our sins go to a cross back then and it's, it's our sin that put Jesus on the cross. I want to ask you another question before we dig into it, and I want to do this fairly quickly. I actually meant to put some paper around, but what does the cross mean to you? And the question is, not that he died for my sin. This is something that I'm hoping that we're going to talk about tonight a little bit and into tomorrow so that you understand a lot of times we don't know what we call apologetics, Jesus died for my sin, but what more does the cross mean? So spend about two minutes on this, and I know that's not enough, but I promise you we will open this conversation up tonight. I will give you some answers, and hopefully next week we'll even expand on it. So go ahead and answer a few questions just together collectively what you think the cross is beyond our sin. Okay. Let's answer some of those questions. Uh, I want to kind of just go through it. I hope your table's got some good ideas. You know, there was a church, uh, a a friend of mine, Ed Carlstone, gave me a letter when Journey First started, and it was from another church. And this church went through the Bible, it had a really good Bible teaching pastor, and they went verse by verse through the Bible for... Six or seven years that the guy said, we're just going to go through it. And they were what we would call today in the Christian community, an expository teaching verse by verse church, similar to what we do on Wednesdays, but just going through a ton of scripture after five years, almost went through most of the Bible. And the pastor was pretty confident and he went up and said to his church, hey, we're going to do a little test about what they knew about the Bible, some basic stuff and a little bit more deeper stuff. What baptism means? What's the meaning of the cross? And you know what? Most people didn't know the answers. The guy was blown away. He was devastated as a pastor. Because a lot of times as Christians, we don't dig in. As my daughter, would, Alyssa Marie, would say that we don't go in deeper. We kind of just let it say on the surface Here's, what, here's one of the readings. There's a song that we sing. It's called, at the, at the Cross, You Beckon Me. And here's some things that the cross means. At the cross, Jesus was taking your place. You guys remember Jeremy was up here, and or Dustin, and there was this guy named Barabbas? Jesus was sent to the cross instead of Barabbas, the murderer. Jesus was innocent and wrongly accused. Barabbas was actually a convict. He actually murdered. He actually deserved to die. And the crowd chose the opposite person. This gives us a clear picture of this substitutionary, uh, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ. The innocent Jesus was substituted for the, the criminal Barabbas. Barabbas deserved to die and Jesus did not deserve to die. Listen to what the apostle Paul writes. He says, God shows his love that while we were still sinners... He died for us. And so we hear that verse a lot. What does that mean? That means that I don't try and get my act together before I come to God. I don't try and come to church and get my hair and my outfit perfectly before I come to God. I come to God broken. And it says, while I'm still a sinner, he died. And while I'm in my sin and struggling, he is there lifting up my cross, helping me. He came in and took that substitutionary place on the cross that 's one of the other, one, one of the reasons of the cross. The second one that he was taking the cross a curse at the cross there was taking this curse when the, when the Roman soldiers were mocking him and placing this crown of thorns upon his head. It has a lot of meaning. Everything in the Bible has deeper meaning. When we dig in and we start to look at some of the things that happened during this crucifixion, if we look at Mark and how it kind of worked out through the gospel of Mark, there was a thorn put on his head. And we learn in our Bible that the thorns were a curse from the beginning of Genesis. If you know your Bible in Genesis 3, the woman ate some fruit then the man ate some fruit and then there was a curse bestowed on her and then there was a curse on the man and in Genesis 17 and 18 it says that there will be thorn and thistle and that thorn and thistle represent a curse. It also says in in one of the Gospels about at noontime it turned dark and in this dark time was also a representation of the curse It was this darkness that came over the land. We see that as a curse. We see it in Deuteronomy 28, 29, Job chapter 5, verse 13 and 14, and Isaiah 59, where it talks about during the noontime, if it got dark today, it would be considered a curse by God. Like the thorns and the darkness at noonday, this was a sign that God's curse was due to sin. And if we look at what Jesus did, he bore the thorns on his head and he bore the darkness as he went to the cross. Here's what Galatians talks about. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13. Look at what it says. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse itself. Christ redeemed us. One of the reasons that he came was to abolish that curse so that you and I no longer need to live in the curse of the thorn or the darkness. It says the curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus did that final hanging on the tree so that we no longer need to live in that curse. The third thing we see and this is my favorite one this is really cool at the cross Jesus with clo- clothing you let's continue reading our text and see what that means when the soldiers had crucified Jesus they divided his clothes among them among the four of them they also took his robe but it was seamless Woven into one piece from top to bottom. So they said, rather than tearing it apart, and throw, let's throw dice for it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my garments among themselves, through dice for my clothing. And so they did that. In Psalm 22, we call that the crucifixion or the cross psalm. Psalm 22, it says, why have you forsaken me? We see that this is also fulfilled where they shake dice and they actually divide the garment because of the divide or or the gamble for that. These wicked men took the clothing of Jesus for themselves. Ironically, though, they didn't recognize that through the cross, Jesus was going to clothe his people. Let me explain that a little bit. Listen to what Isaiah writes. The beautiful thing about the text is the Bible teaches us when we dig in and we go in the middle of our Bibles. In some of your study Bibles, we have this uh, concordance right here. And you look at a verse and in that concordance, it relates back to other pieces of scripture. When we read this text, the concordance relates us back to Isaiah 61.10. And if you read it, here's what it says. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. With the garments of salvation, he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. In essence, what that means, what that prophetic word means, is through his death on the cross, Jesus covered our shame, our nakedness that we got from that original sin by giving us the robe of righteousness. There, the garment actually clothes us when we experience Jesus, and he, that, that garment is a, a subliminal thing or a, a, a symbol. But it gets us the robe of righteousness. When, when they had sin come into their life, they were embarrassed and they were naked. And now Jesus comes back and says, listen, I'm going to clothe you with the robe of righteousness. No longer are you going to be ashamed and full of guilt. You're going to be covered by me. He's going to clothe us, and we see that. If you want to look at the clothing, we see it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. We see that in a lot of marriages where it says, clothe yourself in these attributes of Christ, and in that you will grow in your faith. The last one, it says, at the cross, Jesus was tearing open heaven for you. I love that. You can just see the incredible Hulk tearing open, right? Can you see that Marvel? Anybody? No? Never mind. I mean, everybody must have saw the movie because it's breaking world records, but at the, at the cross, Jesus was tearing open heaven. When Jesus died, if you look at some of the gospels, it says that there was this tear uh, on this, um, this curtain from the top to the bottom. It was from the top because it would be then not possible for a human to tear it. Only something supernatural could tear it from the top to the bottom. This curtain was to guard people from going close to God in what we call the holiest of holies in the temple. Because of sin and mankind, we didn't have access, or they didn't have access to Christ. They had to go through a priest, and only that priest could go behind that curtain once a year, and that priest was chosen by a lot, and he would go back and be in the presence of God. And It was scary, and if you weren't right, and if you were full of sin, you could die. Mark uses this word, if you look at the gospel of Mark, Mark uses this word and that same word torn when Jesus was baptized. It says, when he came out of the water, immediately he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending. When you look at those Greek words, there's these words of torn. And then he relates it in Mark chapter 10, where he says, Jesus associates the crucifixion with the baptism. He says, at the cross, the veil was torn, giving us access. To, to heaven, to the sanctuary, to that connection with Jesus Christ. Listen to what Hebrews writes. Hebrews writes this. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy, holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened it up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and a full assurance of faith. When we think about the cross, there's so much meaning. Yes, the cross, one of the great things was my sin is here. I'm a believer and hopefully if I was in the community, you guys would say, yes, that man is a Christian and I would be willing to die because that's what would be my choice. I would choose death over not being with God because that death of of, uh, eternal separation would be forever, right? If I lost my friendships and family and my wife and my kids' relationships, one day we will meet again. But if I denied Jesus, I would have that eternal separation. So the question is, what is the cross? How does that work? When we think about the crucifixion, we see it, we know it, we can hear the nails. I love the part of the nails and the whipping and all that beautiful thing. But really at the end and next week, we're gonna talk about the, the death and, 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 and the meaning of the death. But we as Christians need to start to become equipped in what we know about the cross. Because it changes people's lives. Do you know when the Muslim faith, and if you're Muslim here, I'm not against you. I am actually believe Jesus could do something in your life. But the Muslim faith don't believe in the cross. They tell in their people that Jesus didn't die on the cross. It's not true. Because they said God's big enough that he can just wave his hand and wash away sins. We know that there's a curse upon this, uh, on our, on our world. And that curse came when man and woman ate the, ate the fruit and the curse came upon man. And there's got to be something that washes that. In this world, there is a spiritual world and a spiritual law that we don't even know about. We have no idea what it is it's higher than our thinking it's beyond what we can comprehend and in that world things need to happen so that you and I can live and fight and the bible tells us that i currently am in a spiritual battle and the angels are fighting my ego my will my heart so that i can be victorious in christ and not the will of jeff when i i have this will right my will, God's will. Do you know where the enemy attacks? The enemy doesn't attack God's will. Why? God's will is not penetrable by sin and by man or by the enemy. He attacks my will, my weakness. That is where I need to strengthen. I've got to get out of my will, my ego. Does anybody know what ego stands for? What? 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 That's good, but not really. But it's good. I like it. In in what do you have? Edging God out, edging God out. <laughs> right? It's edging God out. We move our ego out, and we edge. What do you got, Ray? That's right. And we need to make sure that our will is in tune with God so that these lusts don't come in and overtake our life. We edge God out, and guess what happens? We lose, and the enemy wins. When we get out of ego, and when we allow our will not to be crucified and attacked, we, uh, Christ wins, and we sing victory, and we sing praise, and we can come before our, our, our struggles, and we can cling to the cross. The cross has to have a better meaning to us. For you and I to have a deeper faith and a better understanding of Jesus Christ, I've got to understand every bit of what this cross is. If you were going to be an FBI agent and you were going to study for Quantico, everybody that goes through Quantico, my brother's uh, uh, wife was uh, in Quantico, and part of the training is you sit in a room with a $100 bill for two weeks. A real $100 bill so that when you actually feel a fake $100 bill, you know because you've studied that $100 bill corner to corner. For two weeks, could you imagine being in a room with a $100 bill? I, I would steal it and just walk out and probably go to and get another job. So that's, that's what I do. I got issues. I'm working through it. But the reason why they do that is they spend so much time, they know the type font, they know everything so that when they see and feel something, it's, it, it's, for, it's foreign to them. It's the same with our cross. I've got to know it. I've got to know the backside of it. I've got to know all around it so that when I come under greater attack, I know what the cross means and I know where to go. And it's amazing how God works because I'm in a place where I need the cross more than ever it seems like today. And now I know what I need to do so that when I go before uh, what I need to do, that God will be there and all I have to do is submit my ego, my will, and my attitude and my actions. Let's talk about this final act. Standing near the cross was Jesus' mother. And his mother's mother. This is the most... Being a dyslexic man, this is the hardest reading for me. It says, standing at the cross was Jesus' mother. His mother, mother, Mary. And, oh, Mary, wife of Cleopas, Mary Magdalene. I'm like, how many Marys are in the story right here? There's a lot of Mary going on here. And uh, I'm like, Jesus' mother and the, his mother's mother, his mother's sister, Mary. Are they both named Mary? Anyways, that's what my head is. When Jesus saw his mother standing beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, dear woman... Here is your son. If you remember a couple of weeks ago when I taught about the woman at the, caught in adultery, it's another dear woman. He called that woman woman. He's calling her his mother again, what we would call the third dear woman in the gospel. And it says, dear woman, here is your son. And he said to the disciple he loved, here is your mother. And from then on, the disciple took her into his home. As Jesus was on the cross, he had one more final act. Just after this, and we'll see that next week, uh, if you come back, you'll see what happens. I'm just going to spoil it. He dies. Thanks a lot. I know. Come, come back, though, John. <laughs> Jesus tenderly provides for his mother at death. I don't know if you guys know the bigger picture, but a woman that um, in, in Jerusalem couldn't own property, really couldn't take care of herself... And we think, we're not for sure, but we're almost pretty sure as theologians that her husband's now died. And so Joseph is not there, and now her oldest son is now dying, and who's going to take over the family? And so this, this, this moment where Jesus uh, uh, looks at his mother, and he wants to support her as he's dying. As he's dying, he comes to her and he sees the disciple that he loves and he wants to care for her. He knows she's in grief. He knows that she's in pain and he wants to care for her. And he says to the disciple that he loves, it's standing off, he says, Here's your son. Here's your mother. And he establishes this beautiful new relationship. You know what? Christ is still caring for us even as he's dying. He was dying and he still took care of his mother. He was not focused on his suffering. He was not focused on what was happening and all the work that God was doing. He was focused on his mother and his friend. And he was taking away the suffering that she might have, that she would have by saying, beloved, take over my mother. And he called her dear woman because he didn't want to say mother. They say because it would have broke her heart even more because of the pain of watching your child die. She had no way to provide for herself. So he gave to the person that he trusted, the disciple that he loved. And at that last final act, he says, Mom, here's your son. You're taken care of now. And what that meant to that disciple that he loved was, she's my responsibility, and I'll take care of her until death do us part. As we close tonight, I want you to ask yourself this. And the first thought you're going to say is, oh, yes. But as you get into the car, as you get into home, as you go through whatever you have to go through, is Jesus enough for you? Because a lot of times our actions don't say that. Is the cross and the work on the cross enough for you and I? Is his blood enough? Was his death and the actions that he took enough for you and I? Or... Will your will pop its ugly head up? Will your your ego poke out and take over? Because it does. And that's why we need Christ every day, every hour, every minute of every breath so that you and I cling to this like your life depends upon it we are not guaranteed another second you need to protect your marriages, you need to protect your friendships you need to protect your children you need to protect yourself from the enemy your and my life depends on it let's pray Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the power of the cross. We thank you that through our chaos and confusion and for our sin, through our sin and selfishness, Lord, through our anger and frustration that you meet us. Lord, teach us to cling to the cross. Teach us to know the cross back and forth. Teach us to understand it so that we can have a greater faith and a greater revelation of who you are. Lord, we ask that through the power of Jesus Christ, that as your spirit is here and it's powerfully working in all of us and in me, Lord, will you refine us to do a greater level of work for you? Will you bring forgiveness and healing and your passionate power? In the name above all names, we claim Jesus Christ is Lord. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming tonight. Let's make, uh, yeah, thanks. Let's continue to grow deeper in our faith on Wednesday nights and and, and bring people that want to grow and use your table every week so that you and I and all of us can grow better as we learn. God bless you. Thanks for coming. See you this weekend.